mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Welcome to Life and Art from FT Weekend. I'm Lila Raptopoulos, and this is our Friday chat show. It's winter, the season of cold weather, dark days, and very few new releases. So today we're going to do something a little different and bring a classic film into the studio. And not just any classic. We have chosen a rom-com, a cinematic masterpiece, the 2003 Nancy Myers original, Something's Gotta Give. So Something's Gotta Give, you probably remember it. It stars Diane Keaton and Jack Nicholson. She is Erica, a successful divorced playwright. He is Harry, also known as Old, Old, Old Hair, a successful record exec. And the twist of the film, which you may remember, is that he's not young and neither is she. It's a movie about a romance between a man in his 60s and a woman in her 50s. When the film starts, Harry's actually dating Erica's daughter, played by Amanda Peet, who is in her 20s. And then, of course, drama and self-discovery ensue. So let's get into it. I am here with two wonderful guests in the New York studio. I, of course, am Lila, old, old, old lie. (laughs) (laughs) With me is comedian and actress Nagin Farsad. Nagin is our very first guest on the chat show from outside the FT universe. She is the host of the Fake the Nation podcast, which is really an excellent, fun, very interesting show. And in the words of the film, she is a woman to love. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, I have a pair of scissors here. If at any point I need to rip off my own clothes. <laughs> we have a no turtlenecks in the room today. But <laughs> no, no. We did not come prepared. Uh, welcome. To my right is the great Eric Platt, the FT's senior corporate finance correspondent. And uh, I have to say Eric was an inspiration for this episode because he is a huge fan of this film and the Nancy Myers universe. So kind to say. <laughs> um, welcome, Eric. We, I watch it. Once a quarter, at least. (laughs) (laughs) Which probably says more about me than uh, anything else. I also love that you designate that by fiscal quarter. (laughs) That's the most ridiculous thing I've heard. (laughs) Corporate reporter. You can't lose that. Um, So before we start, Eric, just to jump further into that, every couple, maybe every quarter, you will post a scene on your Instagram from Something's Gotta Give uh, like it'll be Diane Keaton crying and typing. <laughs> and you will write, I don't know, like me filing a scoop from vacation. How did you get into this film? Like, what is your love for it about? I think it hits so many of these beautiful themes, right? One about loneliness and relationships. It's also this fantastic comedy. Yeah. Like um, the scene where she's crying. I didn't know someone could make those noises with their mouth, right? Like in <laughs> that kind of guttural pain. Um, and yet you're laughing through this sadness. And I think mm-hmm. there's something... A, about that that's um, kind of uplifting. It's also, I'm a huge fan of a rom-com, like You've Got Mail. And mm-hmm. this one just, it's so drawn, like it's it's sumptuous almost, right? It gives you so much time with these characters to really fall in love with them. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that that's so familial and why I keep coming back to it. Cool. Nagin, we are thrilled to have you here. When I asked you to watch this film, yeah. 
Had you seen it before? Had you not? Did you remember it fondly? Did you think I was nuts? I had totally seen it. When did it come out again? 2003. 2003. I had totally seen it before. It's entirely possible that I saw it in the theater. (laughs) Yeah. And I also, it's also, I think, one of those movies that was like just sort of on the TV. So if you were flipping, like you could catch Diane Keaton wailing. Totally. I must have seen it during some sort of like hallmark breakup in my life or something (laughs) where you cry so much that it does become comical. Like you make yourself laugh because you're like, what am I even doing? Like ultimately this guy was dumb. Like it's funny too because you're just like, she's crying over Jack Nicholson. I know. And I mean, I got to be honest, I'm not sleeping with him, like, in that movie. You know what I mean? And so— He looks like he's about to pop a little well, bit. Like he, it doesn't look healthy. The movie starts with his heart attack. <laughs> right. Let's recap the plot for listeners who may not know. Yes. So, uh, Something's Gotta Give is written and directed by the great Nancy Myers, who also did The Holiday, The Parent Trap, What Women Want, It's Complicated— Lots of films about very successful women with very nice kitchens. Uh, First thing to know about this film, everybody is rich. (laughs) Everybody is white. Everybody is white. In the first 10 minutes, Harry, Jack Nicholson, is driving to his young girlfriend's house in the Hamptons for this sexy weekend. And immediately they are surprised by her mother, Erica, who is Diane Keaton. And... um, Props to her aunt, who's Frances McDormand, who I did not remember was a part of this Me movie. Me neither. I was surprised. I know. Um, okay, then uh, just as Harry and uh, the daughter Marin retire to bed, ready to consummate their relationship, Harry has a heart attack. He gets rushed to the hospital, and the only place that he can stay to recover is Diane Keaton's home, just with her. So there's like days and days where the two of them are together. Pitter-pattering around the house, bantering, uh, until they start to develop feelings. Wearing, uh, they just develop feelings wearing all white, both of them, <laughs> on a, on the shores of the Hamptons. And she's wearing, as, as Jack Nicholson points out, like, why do you wear a turtleneck in the yes. middle of summer? She wears a turtleneck uh, every day. Because, uh, you guys, her neck is disgusting. The woman is 56 <laughs> years old. I mean, she's practically dead. There's really a whole thing about women and age and necks and... I took Which it so we'll like, get into. I took all of this as a metaphor, right? Like I need to protect myself. I can't I can't show any skin. <laughs> oh, yeah. I need to yes, be like yes. everything must be covered or else I'm letting someone in and mm. right. yeah. Vulnerability shield. Exactly. Yes. Um, may I add the twist, which is that Erica, Diane Keaton, is simultaneously being pursued by a hot younger man. <sighs> Harry's doctor, played by 30-something-year-old Keanu Reeves. That's spectacular. Yeah. So Erica thinks she's sexually retired and is now in this love triangle. And um, the question on all of our minds <laughs> is, does she go for the dirty old man or does she go for this, like, sexy young feminist king who idolizes her? And the answer surprises no one. <laughs> <laughs> like... Can we say who she ends up with at this point? Um, I think it's or, been about 21 years, so I think it's allowed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spoiler. So, I yeah. mean, so even though, you know, she ends up with Keanu Reeves in Paris and blah, 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 Jack Nicholson comes to find her. Mm-hmm. When Keanu sees her with Jack Nicholson, he realizes that they're in love and he bows out off screen mm-hmm. and she goes back and, you know— and they Happily make ever out after with Jack, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, would you would you guys choose Jack over Keanu in this situation? 
I you would choose Jack over no, Keanu. Oh God, God, no, no. Well, I, I yeah, would, choose would, you, you would choose Keanu. You would choose Keanu. Okay, yeah. Um, okay, like it's funny because my parents said something to me recently, which is like, you know, obviously we love our children and our, you know, our grandkid and all that stuff, but like ultimately we enjoy the the company of our peers a lot more. Mm-hmm. They just like <laughs> said that to my face. And I was like, I guess Merry Christmas. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and I was like, oh, but I get it. Um, and so I think there's something about being generationally bound. You know, th- I think there's something about, oh, my God, that's those are my reading glasses. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, I think that stuff is somehow comforting. Uh, so what transpires, uh, feelings wise between these three people in this love triangle? I mean, I think there's like this sort of classic thing that happens with Jack Nicholson and he's how old in this movie? 63. 63. Right. Okay. The character's 63. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's got this like total arrested development. He's acting like he's a young bachelor in New York City. Um, And he's he's truly behaving like every man I dated in my 20s. Like he just (laughs) doesn't want to commit. He goes from woman to woman to woman. Mm -hmm. He's never been married. Right. So he's playing a really archetypal character in that sense. And in the heart attack is this like, sea change event because when the vessel starts to fray, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's sad that this guy is still doing that, right? It's right. suddenly like, oh, and you have no one right. to lean on except for a total stranger who <laughs> happens to be Diane Keaton. <laughs> right, you know? who hates you. Who, who hates you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's perfect. But I think when I look at Erica, I think the arc she's going on is uh, – She's this neurotic people pleaser, right? Mm -hmm. The successful playwright, clearly well-educated, but she's closed herself off. She's also unwilling to kind of step into the gap of new relationships, right? She's filling her life with hobbies. I'm going to learn French. I'm going to write a new play. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this film is just, you're slowly seeing those barriers like pulled down and what happens when she's just left with that raw emotion of like actually letting someone act, letting two people in. Yeah. Um, and the the joy she finds, right? The like, but in a weekend where she just falls in love with Jack Nicholson, she says, "Like, I didn't know I liked sex, right? Like, I haven't I haven't done it in twenty years." Yeah, yeah. And, and you just think, "Wow, you've yeah, you've closed yourself off because because of the potential pain or the hurt that you might experience." Yeah. Um, and so I think through her, I see this kind of transformation of like. Oh, I do want to put myself out there. I do want to experience the world. Yeah. Absolutely. And I and I think the sex was for her was that like sea change event where she realized uh, also the scissors. Can yeah. we just take, take a moment? So literal. Yeah. I mean, over the course of her changing her sort of like outlook on life, she goes from wearing turtlenecks to wearing open neck. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> sweaters. yeah, yeah, which is like so, and and it's so, the, her her turtlenecks are so commented on, right? And it's the the other hilarious thing was how much attention was devoted to her physicality and like None. nothing to his physicality, yeah. which was again, I'm sure maybe he's a nice man, whatever, and I hope the best for him and all that. Like, but he was gross, like just straight up gross. And 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 the fact that nobody talked about it, they're just like, oh, he has a thing. And I'm like, what thing? What is the thing that he supposedly has? I don't see it. It's the wink, wink, Jack Nicholson thing. Uh, <laughs> that verb, right? I don't know. But I think that's what was so special about this movie. It was like, look at these two characters who are not your, like, 
It's not Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is your real life. This is something, <laughs> or maybe something in your mind that you can approximate as a future. Of, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to be sexual in your 50s or 60s? I think that's the question, right? Like, well, I've got 30 years to go, so we'll find out. But like, yeah. I think that's what Nancy's kind of pulling apart in all of this. Yeah. I hope. I'd like to dig a little deeper into like kind of what the film is saying yeah. uh, and some of the themes that we're talking about. Um, one, what did we make of the fact that everybody was rich and white? Like looking back on it now, 21 years later, uh, how did it hand like, I don't know it, how that is something about it that felt uh, uh, dated, dated. It felt like it's it's no longer part of the rom-com fantasy. No, I think that's one of the things that aged so poorly, right? When she, yeah. when when Jack is actually giving his background and he says, I'm in the hip-hop industry, and her response is just, oh, rap. How many words can you rhyme with bitch, right? Like, and, <laughs> right. and I think it's meant to be this feminist overture, but really it's just kind of um, completely diminishing. Yeah. Um, I also just think it's hilarious, you know, the, you, knowing now, like, playwrights do not earn <laughs> enough money <laughs> They just don't. You don't, you're not, it's like if they were like, oh, she's a playwright and also she writes some episodes of Law and Order to like be able to buy the Hamptons. Then we're talking. Then we can talk, right? Totally. But she's not buying a Hamptons house on playwright money. Yeah, yeah. There's no way, right, that Sondheim had a $10 million house in the Hamptons. That that wasn't happening, but like somehow that is the basis for this movie. Exactly, exactly. What about the dynamic of men and women, like what men are supposed to want and what women are supposed to want. Uh, our producer, Lulu, thinks that uh, this movie was more progressive than Barbie. Like, actually, a little less obvious that it's about, like, social conditioning and how you fight against gender roles after you get to a certain age and that sort of thing, when Barbie was a little more uh, about, like, girls. On the nose. Is it a little bit that, like, Diane Keaton did a full frontal nudity. <laughs> like, Diane Keaton walked so that J-Lo could run. Is there a little bit of that going on? Because, like, you know, I just watched The Mother, which is why J-Lo is so heavily on my mind. <laughs> J-Lo is 54 years old right yeah. now. In the movie, um, Diane Keaton is 56. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because it's just like, Diane Keaton is playing this sort of like very much postmenopausal, a little frail, yes. you know what I mean? A little yeah. like, ooh, I might show my wrist, you know what I mean? Like a little <laughs> bit of that. And and J-Lo is not at all that. She's yeah. like basically, she's playing a spy. She's kicking down doors. She's got abs, lots mm-hmm. and lots of abs. Yeah, many. And it's like, oh, that's the now the woman that's a lot, you know, it's a problem as well as a, you know— it's awesome and bad at the same time. So what you're saying is like Diane Keaton in that film, the role was women in their 50s can have desire. Yeah. Just like kind of that's it. Yeah. <laughs> We're opening the door to like, that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And yeah, now yeah. it's like, like oh. a little crack in the door. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, yeah, but they did talk about her like she was 75 and she had this like, oh, who, me? No, 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 not me. Um, yeah. That, yeah, you're, uh, Halle Berry is 57. <laughs> Hot. And hot. But you're right. There's like something there where something stays the same and then something has changed so much that now uh, that now we all have to uh, have abs, have abs in, our in our 50s. Mid 50s. <laughs> right. you know what? I think this movie, like to that point of what do women want or kind of where it was in time, it was just like you don't have the agency to actually ask for what you want. Right. Mm-hmm. In that opening scene when 
She clearly doesn't want this stranger in her house. Right. But she has to say, I can handle it. I'm right. good. Um, or like that she, was like, her form of feminism is I can handle it. I can give for my daughter. It. I can take as many punches as necessary. I can get through this. It was very like head down, but I'm going to like, I'm going to get through it. Mm-hmm. But it also went to this like, I don't know, trying to be this perfect mother giving mm-hmm. uh, whatever my kids want or my husband needs or like the fact that her daughter leaves that weekend. <laughs> what? I mean, how how insane is that? Right? Like, your boyfriend is going to stay with your mom and you're. You're just going to go back to the city to Christie's to work? <laughs> there was a period, the time that this film came out is a period of time where there were uh, a lot of movies about older people and older women and older couples. It was the time of It's Complicated with Meryl Streep and Alec Baldwin. I think that, that was later though, right? That, that was, was a little bit later. Uh, as Good As It Gets came out around that time was also that with, with Jack Helen Nich- Hunt? Helen Hunt and yeah. Jack Nicholson. Right. Yes. Yeah. And uh, First Wives Club was around oh. that time. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I kind of wonder... That was the OG. Right? That was that the OG. Was, and I kind work. of wonder, like, why that was such a big topic then and why it doesn't seem to be explored as much now. You know, it's interesting. I have a theory about that, which is just that it follows divorce rates because, <laughs> like, so my my kid is five mm-hmm. and um, there are very, I mean, very, very few divorced parents in her kindergarten class. Mm-hmm. But when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, there was a ton of divorce. Mm-hmm. So if if you look at screenplays as like a thing you write about that you knew, it's like you, if you were a child of divorce or you saw a lot of divorces in the 80s and 90s, you're sort of like writing about that and then writing about the aftermath. Right. And so all, there's just like this bevy of movies that comes out in the 2000s that reflect the divorce rates right. from the 80s and 90s. And now it just does, it, it's, it's like something else is going on. Um, also, people are marrying so much later I think it's that. that their div- this divorce rates are lower because people are more marrying at a m- more mature age. Yep. And so it's like we're, we're not making those, you know, practical decisions for marriage that happen in like my mom's generation mm-hmm. where it was like, well, I, I'm 19 and so is this guy, which is as good a reason <laughs> as any to get married, you know? I think there was such a stigma around divorce, right? In the yeah, that's yeah. true. That's just dissipated with time of like, yeah. oh God, and people didn't go to therapy at that point, right? Mm-hmm. So it was like, yeah, so you have to, in First Wives Club, right, like kidnap your husbands and take over <laughs> their businesses to make a point uh, to, to survive. Yeah. And that's, you don't have to do that anymore, right? Yeah. I also think that like, uh, there is like a cutesification of old people that happened in this movie where it's like, oh, look how cute they are. Look how cute Diane Keaton is. Uh, that had to happen in films back then. And yeah. now I feel like the audience for that is just going to TikTok and watching old people who have become sort of influencers on TikTok. Yeah, like yeah. people sort of interviewing their grandmothers and saying, oh, that's so cute that you, you know, still remember that recipe or you're giving me advice about dating in my 20s. And I don't know. I feel like I'm see- the place that I'm seeing old people now is not— the old people in movies are hot. So they don't seem like old people. And the old people that I'm really watching are on the internet, are like kind of are are on social media. Well, the other interesting thing about um, old people now is how many of them are online dating. Yeah. You know, or like The Golden Bachelor. I mean, that was a phenomenon. We want it's we're in this space where we sort of like 
want to see old people yeah. fall in love. <laughs> I mean, that was that was a juggernaut, The mm-hmm. Golden Bachelor. So if that's like a if that's some kind of sign of the times. And I wonder how it squares with something like um, something's got to give. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I'm not sure. Well, the one of the interesting things to me about Golden Bachelor is that is also that those women were not like your quintessential 75 year old woman. Yeah. They were like a. Uh, Yoga Active. instructors, and <laughs> one of them was a former dancer for Prince. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was sort of an idealization of uh, of aging. But also, it's weird because you look at like a lot of women, you know, just to compare p- p- photos of you know my grandmother at my then and to my mother at the same age, mm-hmm. and my grandmother looked so much older. Yes. I just think like people take care of themselves yeah. in a different way. We have a different concept of nutrition. Mm-hmm. We have, you know, medical science that'll just keep people alive forever. Yeah. And so the, you know, the idea that you age, that you age mm-hmm. is in question. Yeah. <laughs> act like, act how you, or dress how you age, right? Like, what does <laughs> right. that mean anymore? Yeah, dress your age. exactly. Yeah. Um, no, it's true. I, I do, I look at my uh, dad who's just turned 80 and uh, he looks Better than Jack Nicholson. <laughs> right. Oh, I mean, that's exa- I, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I feel like you don't... The, the conservatism that used to be enforced uh, as you got older, it feels like that's totally been pulled back. Yeah. Um, I feel like maybe there's just a comfort now of, because I'm older, right, seeing my parents and thinking about myself when I get to that age, actually wanting to still have a life. Mm-hmm. Yes. And... God, I talk to friends now, and some are still uncomfortable talking about sex with their parents. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why? <laughs> when you are in your 60s, aren't you going to want to have the same active lifestyle? Yeah. Aren't you going to want to feel this love and devotion and everything that actually this movie tries to depict? Um, and your 70s and your 80s. Right. Why does it have yeah. to? Why does it stop? Yeah. Why does that go away? Um, that would be so devastating. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Okay, so this is uh, great fun. I want to ask, as our my last question, um, what are our final takeaways? Like, what did we learn from watching this that uh, we're thinking about now going into watching movies in this great year of 2024? For me, it's the, I mean, the theme that I come back to or the thing that, like, my final take on it is, like, it's that love makes you unglued, right? You do crazy <laughs> things. In a good rom-com, that's what yeah. it does. Right? Yeah. It's meant to make you... Be yourself, but not yourself. That's why I'm like praying someone at Warner Brothers is like picking up the phone and calling Nancy Meyer after the Netflix mm-hmm. deal got dropped because like I want to see that next great yeah. rom-com again. Can you explain what happened with Nancy Myers? Yeah, my understanding is uh, she had a deal to take, was it a, not a biopic of herself, but like a uh, a rom-com centered on herself yeah. to Netflix. Uh, and she asked for another $20 million. And because this, isn't, this was going to go straight to streaming, Netflix, they canceled the deal. Yeah. Um, and so my hope is uh, a Warner Brothers Universal who would actually give this a proper box office moment. Right. Would come in and actually invest behind this. Right. I mean, it makes you like, okay, uh, Martin Scorsese and uh, also her- everybody's making these like very, very expensive movies that they know are going to get paid back. Uh, her movies make money. Her That's movies make thing, a lot right? of money. Yeah. Yeah. People come out to see her movies. Yeah. But uh, those movies aren't going to the theaters anymore. Uh, I don't think that there are many rom-coms that are going to the theaters anymore. 
Well, I mean, I I think this is also part of my big takeaway is that we sort of like look at filmmakers like Martin Scorsese. We give them carte blanche to spend whatever they want. Mm -hmm. And I think that's great. Um, But then we sort of don't put people like Nancy in that same category, Um, whereas I think she's had just as much of a cultural impact. She's just had it on the lighter side of things. Mm -hmm. And so we somehow don't like prize that as much. Yeah. Um, And and I think that like. At th- these films are part of the canon of cinema, you yeah, know, and right. and I know the canon of cinema all it is more highfalutin than all that, but like this has really had an impact, I think, culturally mm-hmm. on and and ha- and like you said, it's made a lot of money. This was a very popular movie. A lot of her movies were very popular, so the idea that like we we shouldn't have the same respect for her as like an elder stateswoman of filmmaking, yeah. to me feels sad. So I feel like g- let give her the money, let her do it. Mm-hmm. Also, though, Nancy, you could probably still make it for hundred and thirty million. <laughs> you don't need hundred and fifty, right? Like you're yeah. probably making it work. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Nikki and Eric, thank you so much. We will be back in just a moment for more or less. From the Special Investigations Team at the Financial Times, this is The Retreat. The Retreat. The Retreat. The Retreat. I went into what I would consider a psychotic break. It was like being in a torture chamber for my mind for six months. The Retreat. The The final goal is to purify the mind. The Retreat is the first series from Untold, a new Financial Times investigative podcast. Coming this January. Welcome back to More or Less, the part of the show where each guest says something that they want more of or less of culturally. Eric, what do you got? So this is something I sent you, God, months ago, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, Culturally, this is on the fashion side of things. The thing I want more this year is crop tops and adventure for men (laughs) in fashion. I'm really (laughs) bored of like these staid, boring suit. I want to see fun. I want some vibrance. (laughs) I want show that like... We're all going to the gym again, right? Everybody's working out <laughs> post-pandemic. Like, We're getting those abs. Show them off, right? Like, who cares? But yeah, that's what I would like to see more of in 2024. More crop tops. More crop tops. More adventurous fashion from uh, the men I'm seeing both in the office and on the street. Okay. Uh, Nagin, what about you? Well, my recommendation uh, is very much inspired by the conversation we had because this is a rom-com that we watched, but it, I want just a com-com. I mm. want more comedy. Uh, yeah. I feel like drama has just taken just center position in culture. We value them and prize them so much. We get so ensconced in these shows. Um, and I love them too. However, mm-hmm. um, God, why don't we have more comedies? And I just want more 30-minute actual comedies. I feel like the people of America deserve it. We do. Um, I want, those are both amazing. Thank you. <laughs> um, I want an exercise fad to sweep the uh, this great nation of ours. Yeah. I'm tired of Peloton. That happened. It's over. Yeah. And I want to jump on a bandwagon. Um, I decided as a way to create an exercise fad for myself, I would sign up for the New York City Marathon <gasps> and uh, yeah. ran at most 16 miles. And then uh, my IT bands gave out and I couldn't run it. Oh. And so now I just like, I want, I'm, we're walking into the void of winter. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, I'm feeling lethargic. Um, I want the sort of like everyone's baking sourdough of, yeah. <laughs> of the fitness world. I'll do it. I'll do whatever. That's fun. Yeah. I mean, maybe you should resurrect like Zumba or something. <laughs> um, Nagin, Eric, thank you so much. This was so much fun. And um, you've made me think a lot about comedy and romance. And uh, the future for the old people of America. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for having me, Milo. That's the show. Thank you for listening to Life and Art from FT Weekend. I highly recommend that you check out Nagin's podcast, Fake the Nation. I have linked to it in the show notes, alongside a piece that she wrote recently on going on a mushroom retreat. The show notes also have links to where you can follow Eric, where you can keep in touch with me on Instagram, and how to email the show, because we love hearing from you. I'm Lila Raptopoulos, and here is my talented team. Katya Kamkova is our senior producer. Lulu Smith is our producer. Our sound engineers are Breen Turner and Sam Javinko, with original music by Metaphor Music. Topher Forges is our executive producer, and our global head of audio is Cheryl Brumley. Have a lovely weekend, and we'll find each other again on Monday.